Chapter 23 of The Deluge, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Botez. The Deluge, Volume 2 by Henrik Sienkiewicz. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin. 1835 to 1906 chapter 23 a week after the departure of anusha with kochets sapieha's camp was still at biala kmita with the tartars was ordered to the neighborhood of rokitno he was resting too for the horses needed food and rest after the long road prince michael kazimir radzivil the owner of the place by inheritance came also to Biala. He was a powerful magnate of the Nesvier branch of Radzivils, of whom it was said that they had inherited from the Kishkis alone seventy towns and four hundred villages. This Radzivil resembled in nothing his kinsmen of Biri, not less ambitious perhaps than they, but differing in faith an ardent patriot and an adherent of the lawful king he joined with his whole soul the confederacy of tishovtsi and strengthened it as best as he could his immense possessions were it is true greatly ravaged by the last war but still he stood at the head of considerable forces and brought the hetman no small aid not so much, however, did the number of his soldiers weigh in the balance as the fact that Radzivil stood against Radzivil. In this way the last seeming of justice was taken from Boguslav, and his acts were covered with the open character of invasion and treason. Therefore Sapieha saw Prince Michael in his camp with delight. He was certain now that he would overcome Boguslav, for he surpassed him much in power but according to his custom he weighed his plans slowly stopped considered and summoned councils of officers kmita also was at these councils he so hated the name of radzivil that at first sight of prince michael he trembled from anger to rage but michael knew how to win people by his countenance alone on which beauty was united with kindness. The great qualities of this Radzivil, the grievous times which he had recently passed while defending the country, from Zolotarenko and Serobriani, his genuine love for the king, made him one of the most honorable cavaliers of his time. His very presence in the camp of Sapieha, the rival of the house of Radzivil, testified how far the young prince knew how to sacrifice private to public affairs. Whoso knew him was forced to love him. This feeling could not be resisted even by the passionate Kmita, despite his first opposition. Finally the prince captivated the heart of Pan Andrei by his advice. This advice was not merely to move against Boguslav, but to move without negotiations, to dash upon him at once, 
do not let him take castles. Give him neither rest nor chance to draw breath. Make war upon him with his own method. In such decision the prince saw speedy and certain victory. It cannot be that Karl Gustav has not moved also. We must have our hands free, therefore, as soon as possible, and hasten to succor Charnyetsky. Of the same opinion was Kmita, who had been fighting three days, with his old evil habit of self-will, so as to restrain himself from advancing without orders. But Sapieha liked to act with certainty. He feared every inconsiderable step. Therefore, he determined to wait for surer intelligence. And the hetman had his reasons. The reported expedition of Boguslav against Podlyasie might be only a snare, a trick of war. Perhaps it was a feigned expedition with small forces, to prevent the junction of Sapieha with the king. That done, Boguslav would escape from before Sapieha, receiving battle nowhere or delaying. But meanwhile, Karl Gustav with the elector would strike Charnyetsky, crush him with superior forces, move against the king himself, and smother the work in its inception, the work of defense created by the glorious example of Chenstohova. Sapieha was not only a leader, but a statesman. He explained his reasons with power at the councils, so that even Kmita was forced in his soul to agree with him. First of all, it was incumbent to know what course to take. If Boguslav's invasion proved to be merely a trick, it was sufficient to send a number of squadrons against him, and move with all speed to Charnetsky against the chief power of the enemy. The hetman might leave boldly a few or even more squadrons, for his forces were not all around Biala. Young Pan Krzysztof, or the so-called Krzysztofek Sapieha, was posted with two light squadrons and a regiment of infantry at Yavorov. Harodkevich was moving around Tikotsin, having under him half a dragoon regiment very well trained, and five hundred volunteers, besides a light horse squadron named for Sapieha, and in Bialystok were land infantry. These forces would more than suffice to stand against Boguslav, if he had only a few hundred horses. But the clear-sighted hetman sent couriers in every direction, and waited for tidings. At last tidings came, but like thunderbolts, and all the more, so that by a peculiar concurrence of circumstances, all came in one evening. They were just at council, in the castle of Biala, when an officer of orderlies entered and gave a letter to the hetman. Barely had the hetman cast eyes on it, when he changed in face and said, My relative is cut to pieces at Yavorov by Boguslav himself. Hardly has he escaped with his life. A moment of silence followed. The letter is written in Bransk, in frightened confusion, said he. 
Therefore, it contains not a word touching Bogoslav's power, which must, I think, be considerable, since, as I read, two squadrons and a regiment of infantry are cut to pieces. It must be, however, that Bogoslav fell on them unawares. The letter gives nothing positive. I am certain now, said Prince Michael, that Bogoslav wants to seize all Podlyasia, so as to make of it a separate or feudal possession in the treaties. Therefore, he has surely come with as much power as he could possibly get. I have no other proofs, save a knowledge of Boguslav. He cares neither for the Swedes nor the Brandenburgers, only for himself. He is an uncommon warrior who trusts in his fortunate star. He wants to win a province to avenge Janosch to cover himself with glory. And to do this he must have a corresponding power, and has it. Otherwise he would not march on us. For everything the blessing of God is indispensable, said Oskierko, and the blessing is with us. Serene great mighty hetman, said Kmita. Information is needed. Let me loose from the leash with my Tartars, and I will bring you information. Oskierko, who had been admitted to the secret and knew who Babinich was, supported the proposal at once and with vigor. As God is good to me, that is the best idea in the world. Such a man is needed there, and such troops. If only the horses are rested. Here Oskierko was stopped for the officer of orderlies entered the room again. Serene great mighty hetman, said he. Sapieha slapped his knees and exclaimed, They have news, admit them. After a while the two light horsemen entered, tattered and muddy. From Horotkevich? asked Sapieha. Yes. Where is he now? Killed or if not killed, we know not where he is. The hetman rose, but sat down again, and inquired calmly, Where is the squadron? Swept away by Prince Boguslav. Were many lost? We were cut to pieces. Maybe a few were left, were taken captive like us. Some say that the colonel escaped, but that he is wounded, I saw myself. We escaped from captivity. Where were you attacked? At Tikotzin. Why did you not go inside the walls, not being in force? Tikotzin is taken. The hetman covered his eyes for a moment with his hand. Then he began to pass his hand over his forehead. Is there a large force with Boguslav? Four thousand cavalry, besides infantry and cannon. The infantry very well trained. The cavalry moved forward, taking us with them. But luckily we escaped. Whence did you escape? From Drohichen. Sapieha opened wide his eyes. You are drunk. How could Boguslav come to Drohichen? When did he defeat you? Two weeks ago. And is he in Drohichen? His scouting parties are. 
he remained in the rear himself for some convoys captured which Pan Kochets was conducting. He was conducting Pana Borzobogati, cried Kmita. A silence followed. Boguslav's success, and so sudden, had confused the officers beyond measure. All thought in their hearts that the hetman was to blame for delay, but no one dared say so aloud. Sapieha, however, felt that he had done what was proper, and had acted wisely. Therefore, he recovered first from the surprise, sent out the man with a wave of his hand, and said, These are ordinary incidents of war, which should confuse no one. Do not think, gentlemen, that we have suffered any defeat. Those regiments are a loss, surely. But the loss might have been a hundred times greater if Boguslav had noticed us to a distant province. He is coming to us. We will go out to meet him, like hospitable hosts. Here he turned to the colonels. According to my orders, all must be ready to move. They are ready, said Oskierko. Only saddle the horses and sound the trumpet. Sound it today. We move in the morning at dawn without fail. Pan Babinich will gallop ahead with his Tartars, and seize with all haste informants. Kmita had barely heard this when he was outside the door, and a moment later hurrying on as his horse could gallop to Rokitno. And Sapieha also did not delay long. It was still night when the trumpets gave out their prolonged sounds. Then cavalry and infantry poured forth into the field. After them stretched a long train of squeaking wagons. The first gleams of day were reflected on musket barrels and spear points, and they marched regiment after regiment, squadron after squadron, in great regularity. The cavalry sung their matins, and the horses snorted sharply in the morning coolness from which the soldiers predicted sure victory for themselves. Their hearts were full of consolation, for the knighthood knew from experience that Sapieha weighed everything, that he labored with his head, that he considered every undertaking from both sides, that when he began a thing he would finish it, and when he moved he would strike. At Rokitno the layers of Tartars were cold, they had gone the night before, hence, must have pushed far in advance. It surprised Sapieha that along the road it was difficult to learn anything of them, though the division, numbering with volunteers several hundred, could not pass without being seen. The most experienced officers wondered greatly at this march, and at Pan Babinich for being able to lead in such fashion, like a wolf he goes through the willows, and like a wolf he will bite, said they. He is as if born for the work. But Oskierko, who, as has been said, knew who Babinich was, said to Sapieha, It was not for nothing that Hovansky put a price on his head. God will give victory to whom he chooses, but this is sure that war with us will soon be bitter for Boguslav. 
but it is a pity that Babinich has vanished, as if he had fallen into water, answered the hetman. Three days passed without tidings. Sapieha's main forces had reached Drohichen, had crossed the Bug, and found no enemy in front. The hetman began to be disturbed. According to the statements of the light horse, Boguslav's scouts had reached Drohichen. It was evident, therefore, that Boguslav had determined to withdraw. But what was the meaning of this withdrawal? Had Boguslav learned that Sapieha's forces were superior, and was he afraid to measure strength with him? Or did he wish to entice the hetman far toward the north, to lighten for the king of Sweden his attack on Charnyetsky and the hetmans of the kingdom? Babinich was to find an informant and let the hetman know. The reports of the light horse as to the number of Boguslav's troops might be erroneous, hence the need of precise information at the earliest. Meanwhile, five days more passed, and Babinich gave no account of himself. Spring was coming. The days were growing warmer. The snow was melting. The neighborhoods were being covered with water, under which were sleeping morasses, which hindered the march in an unheard-of degree. The greater part of the cannons and wagons the hetman had to live in Drohichen and go farther on horseback. Hence great inconvenience and murmuring, especially among the general militia. In Bransk they came upon such mud that even the infantry could not march farther. The hetman collected on the road horses from peasants and small nobles and seated musketeers on them. The light cavalry took others, but they had gone too far already, and the hetman understood that only one thing remained, to advance with all speed. Boguslav retreated unceasingly. Along the road they found continual traces of him, in villages burned here and there, in corpses of men hanging on trees. The small local nobles came every little while with information to Sapieha. But the truth was lost, as is usual in contradictory statements. One saw a single squadron and swore that the prince had no more troops. Another saw two, a third three, a fourth an army five miles long. In a word they were fables such as men tell who know nothing of armies or war. They had seen Tartars too, here and there, but the stories concerning them seemed most improbable, for it was said that they were seen not behind the prince's army, but in front, marching ahead. Sapieha panted angrily when anyone mentioned Babinich in his presence, and he said towards Kierko, you overrated him. In an evil hour I sent away Volodyovsky, for if you were here I should have had long ago as many informants as I need. But Babinich is a whirlwind, or even worse. Who knows, 
he may in truth have joined Boguslav and be marching in the vanguard. Oskierko himself did not know what to think. Meanwhile, another week passed. The army had come to Bialystok. It was midday. Two hours later, the vanguard gave notice that some detachment was approaching. It may be Babinich, cried the hetman. I'll give him pater noster. It was not Babinich himself, but in the camp there rose such commotion over the arrival of this detachment that Sapieha went out to see what was taking place. Meanwhile, officers from different squadrons flew in crying, From Babinich, prisoners, a whole band, he sees the crowd of men. Indeed, the hetman saw a number of tens of men on poor, ragged horses. Babinich's Tartars drove nearly three hundred men, with bound hands beating them with bullock-skin whips. The prisoners presented a terrible sight. They were rather shadows than men. With torn clothing, half-naked, so poor that the bones were pushing through their skin. Bloody, they marched half alive, indifferent to all things, even to the whistle of the whips which cut them, and to the wild shouts of the Tartars. What kind of men are they? asked the hetman. Boguslav's troops, answered one of Kmita's volunteers, who had brought the prisoners together with the Tartars. But where did you get so many? Nearly half as many more fell on the road from exhaustion. With this, an old Tartar, a sergeant in the horde, approached and beating with the forehead, gave a letter from Kmita to Sapieha. The hetman, without delay, broke the seal and began to read aloud. Serene great mighty hetman, if I have sent neither news nor informants with news hitherto, it is because I went in front, and not in the rear, of Prince Boguslav's army, and I wished to learn the most possible. The hetman stopped reading. That is a devil, said he. Instead of following the prince, he went ahead of him. May the bullets strike him, added Oskierko in an undertone. The hetman read on. It was dangerous work, as Boguslav's scouts marched in a wide front, but after I had cut down two parties and spared none. I worked to the van of the army, from which movement great confusion came upon the prince, for he fell to thinking at once that he was surrounded, and as it were, was crawling into a trap. That is the reason of this unexpected withdrawal, cried the hetman. A devil, a genuine devil, he read on with still more curiosity. The prince, not understanding what had happened, began to lose his head, and sent out party after party, which we cut up notably, so that none of them returned in the same number. Marching in advance, we seized provisions, cut dams, destroyed bridges, so that Boguslav's men advanced with great trouble, neither sleeping nor eating, 
having rest neither day nor night. They could not stir from the camp, for the Tartars seized the unwary, and when the camp was sleeping, the Tartars howled terribly in the willows. So the enemy, thinking that a great army was moving on them, had to stand under arms all night. The prince was brought to great despair, not knowing what to begin, where to go, how to turn. For this reason, it is needful to march on him quickly, before his fear passes. He had six thousand troops, but has lost nearly a thousand. His horses are dying. His cavalry is good. His infantry is passable. God, however, has granted that from day to day it decreases, and if our army comes up, it will fly apart. I seized in Bialystok the prince's carriages, some of his provision chests and things of value, with two cannons, but I was forced to throw most of these into the river. The traitor, from continual rage, has grown seriously ill, and is barely able to sit on his horse. Fever leaves him neither night nor day. Panna Borzobogati is taken, but being ill, the prince can make no attack on her honor. These reports, with the account of Boguslav's desperation, I got from the prisoners whom my Tartars touched up with fire, and who, if they are touched again, will repeat the truth. Now I commend my obedient services to you, serene great mighty Hetman, begging for forgiveness if I have erred. The Tartars are good fellows, and seeing a world of plunder, serve marvelously. Serene great mighty lord, said Oskierko, now you surely regret less that Volodyovsky is away, for he could not equal this devil incarnate. Oh, he is an ambitious piece. He even hurled the truth into the eyes of Prince Janusz, not caring whether it was pleasant or unpleasant for that hetman to hear it. This was his style with Hovansky, but Hovansky had fifteen times more troops. If that is true, we need to advance at the greatest speed, said Sapieha, before the prince can collect his wits. Let us move on, by the dear God. Babinich will cut the dams, and we will overtake Boguslav. Meanwhile the prisoners, whom the Tartars had kept in a group in front of Sapieha, seeing the hetman, fell to groaning and weeping, showing their misery and calling for mercy in various tongues. For there were among them Swedes, Germans, and the Scottish guards of Prince Boguslav. Sapieha took them from the Tartars and gave command to feed them, and take their testimony without torture. Their statements confirm the truth of Kmita's words. Therefore, the rest of Sapieha's army advanced at great speed. End of chapter 23